0: Something today that that uh, made churches part of the um, essential group. So this is this is what we're doing. The same thing we've been doing from the very beginning. Uh, We do not lock our doors. Yes, I'm getting a lot of phone calls from people. Yes, there are people in the building. You make that decision yourself. Do you want to be here? Do you not want to be here? That's your call. If you're older with with um, respiratory issues and, and males with diabetes, stuff like that, well think about it. you know think twice before you um, come running in here, but yes, there are people here. in fact, this last Sunday, quite a few people. So you're welcome to join us, you don't have to if you don't want to. Um, I don't think we're being rebellious, I think we're being adults in a uh, constitutionally driven United States of America so Um, And I'm going to explain that. I I sent the video out, or I don't know if it got sent out yet or not, but uh, talking about this, I did say last week, because I was caught up in the moment, and uh, I did say that I'm going to be talking about all this constitutional, spiritual crisis, all this stuff next Sunday. That is not happening. It's the Sunday after next. This Sunday, Dave Reaver will be here with us, and uh, Friday night, the 8th, this Friday night, two nights from now, Dave Reaver will be here uh, for our men's rally, Friday night men's rally, and uh, we're going to conduct that pretty much the same we always have, and it will be online. And then uh, Sunday morning for Mother's Day, we're going to have uh, Dave Reaver speak for us also then. I- I'm looking forward to this. You guys that have been around here a while, you know I don't have a lot of uh, outside speakers speak, um, what we would call evangelists and stuff like that, with missionaries, but that's the only really outside speakers we have speak. I don't have evangelists and stuff like that. Um, I do that by design. Uh, if you're concerned, I can tell you why, but uh, it's not a big thing for me. We don't do that very often. So this is a definitely different, special moment for us. Um, Dave Reaver is, I think, one of the best uh, just communicators out there. And I think his story is so profound, and God has anointed him Uh, In so many ways to speak, every time I've ever heard him speak about anything, and it's not always just his story, uh, he he is definitely anointed by God, and his Holy Spirit just uses him in a powerful way. And so please tune in, whatever you want to do, be here, tune in, however. um, I first saw Dave Reaver when I was in junior high. (laughs) I'm going to make sure he knows that before he leaves here. But uh, so he's a little bit older than me. He was in Vietnam, and that's a lot of his story. Very, very powerful, and so, so tune in for that. You do not want to, you will be disappointed if you miss, because you're going to miss something very important with this, okay? So I want to <clears throat> quickly recap, I say that, but you know, that's relative. I'm going to recap a little bit last week, so that we kind of bring this, because I got through the first two parts, and I want to focus to tonight on the third part, uh, which kind of carries us forward, and so, so really over the last two weeks, i am talking about Get in your mind the where Jesus wants your mind to be, making sure that you have the mind of Christ. We use we use that term a lot, that uh, that we are not just trying to be a Christian, but we're trying to, um, th- this, this is a weird thing, I don't even like saying it this way, but this is where we've come to in America, that we have, you can be a Christian, but you know, kind of a casual one, just kind of like, eh, I'm not really all in, I'm not really, but I'm still a Christian, and, and then you got, well, I kind of want to serve Jesus a little better, and so we do that, and then. And and I don't really know, definitely according to Scripture, how much how much there really is some of these categories. Um, some of these categories that we put, you know, nominal Christian, just here and there kind of thing, I'm not really all in, I'm not like a fanatic. Or, those kind of categories are actually talked about in Scripture as not being Christians. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's the lukewarm kind of stuff. And I said this a couple weeks ago, that uh, one of the things that that I was obsessed with the first probably 10 or 15 years I was in ministry. And um, a lot of those were uh, as a youth pastor. And then as I became a pastor, I became a pastor in 96, I was 26. Um, I I was obsessed with this. The idea of can I, because I had grown up in the church, I had seen this all my life in different churches, different settings and everything, kind of this lukewarm, halfway, not all in, you know, very... Hypocritical Christian by name, Christian by action, a little bit, but not your heart. Not just I am all in, and and and, and I came across just a few people as I was a, as a child growing up, and then I came across much more when I when I got to um, to university and I and I started going to a kind Christian organization. I started seeing people. I felt like really for the although there was a few growing up, but I felt like for the first time I was seeing really committed sold out, I love Jesus, I'm all in no matter what, because I love him, Christians. And, and that, man, that I became obsessed with that. And my job was to um, convince all of these um, lazy, side-road kind of Christians that I was, was going to be the guy that was going to change the world and, and, um, and, and win them all to a, a profound Christian relationship. And then I realized that that's not really possible. Nobody does that. Um, every now and then people move from lazy mediocrity kind of Christian thinking to, um, to, to real depth of Christian thinking and loving Jesus. That doesn't really happen that often. Uh, really, the people that are all sold out and excited and everything are people that when they got saved, they made that decision then. I'm, I'm in love with Jesus. I need him more than anything. And, uh, and, and so I have quit being obsessed by that. I quit chasing after that. But I do think that we are in, and I, I think there are different moments in life, different crisis moments, different benchmarks that, that, you, that you make a decision. Do I just be nominal? Do I kind of slide backwards a little bit? Or do I really go after Jesus? And, and there are certain things in life that can push you to that. Certain transitions. I think some of them are normal type of transitions like moving to a new city, uh, having children. I see a lot of parents that were just I mean, a lot of people that were kind of, yeah, whatever. And then they had a child, and they're like, wait, this is serious. (laughs) And and then they actually begin to serve Jesus. Um, Crisis, crisis of uh, health, crisis of um, faith, crisis uh, uh, relationally, all these kind of things have a tendency to push. It pushes you. You decide whether it pushes you to Jesus or not. And so I think we're in a process where we're beginning something that is starting us going down the road. And yes, I do believe we are quickly heading toward end-time events, I've had three pastors call me in the last few days and ask me, do you think this is the end times? And I say this, um, in fact, Roy and I were talking about this. I don't remember when that was, Roy, yesterday? <laughs> it seems like a week ago, but um, we were talking about this. Do, do you think we're in the end times? I don't think we're in the tribulation, but I think we're in the times that lead up to the tribulation quickly. And I think one of the ways I said it to Roy or he said it to me or something was, um, <clears throat> you know, if you had asked me six months ago, I'd have said, yeah, Jesus is coming soon, like in the next 10 or 20 years. You ask me right now, I'm saying, yes, Jesus is coming soon, like the next two or three years max. I really do believe that. I, I may be wrong. You know, five years from now, you can say, I think you missed that one. Sure. Um, but, but, man, it's strong in my spirit right now that we're in Matthew 24. We're heading up to this. So these kind of crises of moments and thought processes and stuff, I believe that, that people turn to the Lord. And, I, and I, I hope and pray. I don't have a lot of evidence of this it's just theoretical or anecdotal but i really believe that people are really thinking about this and beginning to pray about this and and, and i believe that some people are saying okay lord i'm i'm done playing around this this is serious and uh, and we're headed toward these kind of things so so that being the case that's why two weeks ago and then last week i talked about what paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 so so this is what i say this is the way he says this is what i say pray in the spirit Pray in your own understanding, in your own language, in your own in English. Pray in tongues, that's what he means, pray in tongues, and, and your language, whatever your language is. Worship in the Spirit and worship in your understanding or your language. Guys, I think we, we have got to get to a point in the church. The church has been running, and I'm saying even specifically the Pentecostal Charismatic Church has been running for the last 30 or 40 years away from um, true Pentecostal distinctive empowerment of the Spirit uh, signs, wonders, supernatural, living gifts of the Spirit. So we've been running away from that because we're, we are so worried that people are scared to death of this and that they won't come to our church if we tell them the truth. That, that is so, that, that is such a dichotomy there. It's, it's, it's tragic that, the only reason there is a church is so that we can know the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word. That's the only reason there is a church. Salvation is understanding the revelation that Jesus is Lord. And then Jesus said, Don't leave Jerusalem until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And and, and we run away from this because we're scared that people that we're worried that people will be scared of real truth. I, I don't understand that. I, if, you're, if, you're not gonna, if it's not about truth, if it's not about Jesus being empowered by the Holy Spirit, the blood of Christ being forgiven, walking in, in empowerment, praying in the Spirit, worshiping the Spirit, if it's not about those things, why do we even really get together? What, what's the point? It's not about, um, I just want to hang out with people. I mean, that's a great thing, but, but the point, the, the, the reason there is a body of Christ is because Jesus' blood has flowed through us, and then he said... Be filled with the Holy Spirit because the blood cannot get to the rest of the world without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so this is why I've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Now, last week, I, I talked about two uh, basic things in the thought process that the power of the Holy Spirit, understanding the Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit, those things lead you to a mind of Christ kind of mentality. So I talked about the uh, think Jesus thoughts, um, the, um, what did I say? Um, Robin Hood, not Robin Hood. Who is it? Peter Pan. I don't know why I keep getting stuck on Robin Hood. Robin Hood never flew that we know of. Yeah, that was Robin Williams, and he did fly. He flew a lot. But um, so, so here's the thing with that is Peter Pan, you know, the, the think happy thoughts, think happy thoughts. We've got to think Jesus thoughts. The church has got to learn how to think Jesus thoughts, not add Jesus to our world thoughts, Not add Jesus to our world thinking and all this stuff. I know I picked on this um, some last week, but I I really, again, I think these people, their ideas and their minds are right. I think they're trying to do the right thing. But we've got all of these these systems and plans and people are writing books and putting online blogs, all this other stuff, saying this is the new norm and this is how, these are the things we need to look at as people start coming back to church. Churches need to be speaking about these things and speaking about these things. That, That just so drives me crazy. Why don't we just do something crazy weird off the charts um, and just talk about Jesus? Just, you know, the blood of Jesus. Just, just be all weird and crazy old school and talk about the cross. And what helps us through pandemics is the blood of Jesus. What helps us after pandemics? Still the same thing, blood of Jesus. We don't have to have all these plans, all this stuff. I, I said this so many times, and I don't think, I don't think pastors process this sometimes. I've been to so many, I don't know, 30 or 40 church growth seminars, all this stuff over the years. I've never heard anybody, any one of those ever, in 30 years of ministry, ever say, try preaching forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And just tell that to your neighbor. And your church might grow. Never heard anybody say that it's this, this plan. You know, have these systems, screens, organizational structures, the greeter groups. All, I mean, you name anything. It's been everything I've ever heard over the years. But I've never heard anybody just sit and say, "Let's just preach Jesus until He changes somebody so so transformingly, powerfully, amazingly that they have to tell somebody else." We should try that. We haven't done that in years and years in the church. I'm saying at large. We've done that for years, we should try that. Well, we need to think Jesus' thoughts. What is, how do you think Jesus would be thinking right now coming out of a, of a pandemic, whether you believe it's true or not? How, how, do, you, how do you think Jesus Jesus is going to have church uh, this week for Mother's Day? What do you think Jesus is going to say to everybody that start, you know, wandering in out of the dark into the light of sunlight and wander into a church? And hi, this is church. How, what do you think Jesus is going to say? what's jesus' thoughts? Is, is he going to start going through a, a um, counseling list of you need to think about this and you need to process this and and let's all ponder the people who have died and let's all ponder the people that got sick and, and you these are some of the things I've heard, and you need to to be introspective about the fact that you didn't die why? so just, just, let's just think jesus' thoughts. Then last week, I ended up with. We also need to deal with non-Jesus thoughts, the stuff that, that Satan tries to tell you. Um, I, I think the biggest thing, if we could have done this over the last two months, the church at large, and I'm saying preach it from pulpits and everything. I, I said this Sunday, I, I think, I think that, the, that the direction that we've gone as a church in the last two and a half to three months has been more harmful than it has been good because we have helped propagate the craziness of this weird pandemic thought process and this fear that's running through our country, churches, pastors, sermons, messages, vlogs, everything, it's been so much geared around, oh, this is a pandemic, go close yourself in the house so no one else dies. Guys, that is, that is not, the church is supposed to step up and lead. The church is supposed to speak against fear, specifically when that fear is based in lies. We need to speak against this stuff, and we have not been doing that. We've not been doing that at all. In fact, <clears throat> myself included, the few people that have kind of said, hey, this ain't right. This, we're being lied to. We're being lied to by the government. We're being lied to by Satan prom- prominently, uh, predominantly. Stop it. Stop being afraid. Stop doing it. If we would have just had more of that, we wouldn't have all of this crazy fear, I believe, running through America. The reason that the fear, I believe, the reason the fear became so strong through the entire country was because the church didn't stand up and be a voice of reason, a voice of hope, and a voice of Jesus Christ. And if we would have done that, I believe that most of the rest of the country, not Christians, just the country, would have immediately begin to calm down. And the Holy Spirit would have begin to take authority and control. Because why? We are prophetically speaking who Jesus is in the middle of the, the goofiness and the darkness and the fear and the lies. And, and we missed it. We missed the chance. And now we're going to have to clean up a bunch of junk for the next six months until the next pandemic happens in the fall. And, and, and we didn't have to. Jesus didn't go around talking about fear. Jesus didn't go around talking about this stuff. He looked the government in the eye and he said, you guys are wrong. He looked the, the, uh, the spiritual leadership government. I've had so many people say, well, Jesus didn't break the law. He didn't do all this stuff. Yeah, they hung on a cross because he broke their laws. Just because you say it's not a law that we would have put in a law, it was a religious law, that was the rulership of the time. He broke their law. So did Peter and John. The reason they were put in jail is because the government said, don't preach the gospel. And they said, nah, we're gonna. That was the law. Don't preach the gospel. Got put in jail. Jesus looked in their spiritual leadership and said, you're wrong. You're not going to control. You're not going to manipulate. You're not going to lie. You're not going to spread these false stories. You're not going to attack the true kingdom of God. And you're not going to attack who I am as as the son of God. Uh, on this earth, incarnated, God in human flesh. And this is truth. And when he began to speak truth to the government, the, the, the people begin to respond, spark up, realize it, understand it, get hope again, get, get, um, get the idea of grace and forgiveness and, and, and this stirring in their mind that maybe, just maybe, the people that are in authority are not right. And Jesus, that's, that's, that's why they killed him. He said, I'm, I'm God in human flesh. And they said, you can't be that. We don't let that happen. Although it is profoundly true. It is eternally, transcendently, significantly vital that we understand that truth. And the church leader you said, you cannot take our power away. Same thing, our church leadership slash government weird things going on. I believe at first this started as Satan <clears throat> trying to check the pulse of the world and see what he could do. And then... We're having people all over the country that are enjoying the power and the money and the control and all this other stuff. And so now it's gone crazy. And they're saying, we're going to do this for two more years. I'm not. Anybody else wants to can. I'm not going to be quarantined for two more years. I ain't even quarantined one day. Just so you know. Um, Our church is not going to be quarantined. I'm not saying everybody needs to be here. You make that decision. But our doors are open and we're not. This is goofy. We're not doing this anymore. We're not playing the game. We've got to speak, the church has got to speak hope, not fear. Church has got to be, speak truth. So first thing, we've got to get Jesus thoughts. Secondly, we've got to combat non-Jesus thoughts. Now, here's the third part of this, that we have to get into God's presence. <clears throat> this is where I think that, that we're, we've been struggling for a long time in the church for this, truly getting into God's presence. Now, let, let me explain that a little bit. When I believe that you can um, praise and sing to God Uh, read the Bible, come to church, uh, give offering tithes, teach classes, you can do all this stuff, but you're not really in the presence of God. You're you're not anti-God, you're not doing anything bad, I don't think you're out there, you know, mass murdering or whatever, but we're not into the presence of God, and there's this this, uh, insecurity from people, humanity in general, and we've let it Creeping into the church so much that it's controlling the church. This idea that I can't totally let go and let God be in charge. I can't totally surrender myself. Now, sometimes I, I pick on the church at large. I, I pick on how we think about things. And I, I pick on uh, like church when I was growing up, Pentecostal churches down in the south when I was growing up. There's some goofy stuff. There's some crazy stuff. But here's something that has always stuck with me. And this has always been part of me. And I chase after this. I remember many times when we would have services. So we had Sunday morning and Sunday night services. Well, in in Pentecostal churches, Sunday night service meant <clears throat> whatever might happen. Uh, especially back in the seventies, uh, it, it, we would have church on Sunday night sometimes three, four hours. That that actually was kind of consistent. Church started at six o'clock on Sunday night. By eight thirty or nine, we were trying to decide whether we were going to stop and go home or not. And and some of it was some of it was just Whatever silliness, emotionalism, although that's not always bad. But but I remember many many times when I would watch people that that would sit in their seats or come to an altar or just stand worshiping, and and we would just do that for a couple hours and people would just be weeping, just weeping before God and and find a place to kneel down and just and just repent, just repent for forever and pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. I would watch people be filled with the Holy Spirit and just. And just sit at an altar and just pray in tongues for an hour. I would see this. I saw this all my life. And in those same kind of context of churches, I would see people healed constantly. I grew up seeing people healed all the time. And it was in those same churches where we really sought after God and just His presence. Well, here's the thing. You know when somebody comes and sits in a seat and, and begins to worship and all of a sudden they're, they're crying and worshiping and praying, and praying and praying in tongues and all that stuff. That's not when it started it started at home where they're doing that. It started at home where they just needed to be in the presence of God, not just gain more knowledge. We are so consumed with that in the church today. Just gain more knowledge. We get a good speaker, and he's going to do a nice little three-point outline that, man, it just all works together. And, and what is that? I think it's called alliteration where they use the same letter. I've never been able to do that. I, my, my words all sound stupid when I try to put the same... But. You know, we just want catchy little things and this little thing and wrap it up with this and nice little apologetics. And, and, but, but we're scared to death just to go into the presence of God, just be in his presence. Guys, that's what the church needs right now is God's presence, not the, not the kind of presence that we think casually in the church today. where two or more are gathered. I'll be there in your midst. We use it so casually. You say, that means you and I can get together and we can pray for two minutes. God is with us. And then we can go home. Or because we're at church, God is with us. We go, Okay, there's no denying. God is with us. But that's not the same thing as stepping into the throne room of God. So here's one of the differences that I've noticed over the years. I used to get asked years ago. I was a worship pastor for, for a while, years ago. And um, I would get asked by people, what's the difference between praise and worship? And I would always say this jokingly, assuming that they knew the truth. And then it dawned on me, I've been saying this for years, it dawned on me, they think I'm serious. People would say, what's the difference between praise and worship? Well, praise is fast, worship is slow. Slow songs are worship, praise songs are fast. That is not the truth, okay? That's not true. Here's the difference. Praise is to God, it's about God. Um, Praise, you can speak to Him, You you can speak about Him. Those, that's that's what praise is. That can be with music, not with music. We always think it has to be in a worship service of music. Praise is singing to God or singing about God. Worshiping God, worshiping uh, to God or whatever. Uh, singing, not worship. Don't use the word worship. It's going to mess up what I'm saying. So it's to God. It's about God. Worship changes and becomes about being in His presence. That's the major difference with worship. is It's no longer, God, I'm exalting you. I'm praising you. I'm lifting your name high, uh, whatever. It now becomes you are, you are mentally stepping into the throne room of God. and You're bowing your face before the king. And the first thing you have to do, because it's human, you can't not. I, look at Isaiah 6. Look at Revelation 20. Revelation 11. All these things. It always is the same way. When you, when you step into the throne room of God, you have to get on your face. It's not that you want to and you think it would be cool. So that you have to. That's why the scripture says that at, at the throne of judgment, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Um, Hitler's going to be standing there. It doesn't mean Hitler said, you know what? I've been putting this off too long. I think I'm going to kneel before God. That's not what's going on. It's the holiness of God is so big, so transcendent, so power and awe-inspiring that our limited humanness must fall before the king. Your legs won't keep you up. You can try, but it won't. That's why he says every knee will bow. God knows that. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Worship is about bowing your light before him. And the first thing you do is you will confess. You will repent. You will, you will plead with the Lord for mercy. And then you will begin to extol him from in your spirit directly to his spirit. That's what worship is. And the church is scared to death of that. And one of the reasons is because we, we have so changed and morphed praise and worship, music, song service, worship times, whatever. We've so morphed those more into a concert where there has to be a starting point, end point. You know, we're going to start this song, we're going to do this, blah, 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 and then finish, and then do this, and then we bridge twice, and then, okay, then we're immediately going to go in, the transition is going to happen, lights are going to change, smoke's going to come out, we're going to go into the next song, you're going to do this, and you're, we've so made it a show and a concert and a, that it's so difficult for us just to worship, because this our time right now in our country where we are at, we must learn how to break all the barriers, strongholds, whatever's holding us back, and learn to worship. Nineteen ninety-five was the first time. I'm sorry, nineteen, not ninety-five. Nineteen ninety. Two was the first time that I ever processed this. This was a major, major transition, which is why I know when it happened. Major trans- transition for me. i had never gone here mentally, spiritually, or anything. I was reading a book, which I don't necessarily recommend the book right now because then I didn't know enough. I thought it was a great book. I wouldn't recommend it except that it's got some really good stuff in it, but Theologic is a little off. It's a, it's a book by a um, coat guy, Benny Hinn. Um, it's a book by Benny Hinn, and there's some really good stuff in it. And then there's some stuff you're like, "What?" But, but he he talked about this in that book, and it and it stopped me, it stopped my life, it stopped my, it stopped my existence, and put it on pause until I ha- I could process this. And it took me a few weeks to process this. He said he was in a in a coliseum speaking a service or doing whatever, and and um, and and there's like 20,000 people there, and I was. And he said he felt just as strong, like the Lord had said it almost audibly to him. I just want you to be quiet in my presence. And so people are singing, doing all this stuff. He's not praying for anybody yet. It's just the choir or whatever. And he felt it again, and, and he and begins to talk to God. God, is this from you? Am I hearing your voice? Is it? And God said, I want everybody to be quiet. So he walked up, interrupted the, the worship service, took the microphone and said, I want God has told me I want everybody to be quiet in his presence. Completely quiet. And everything began to hush down, and somebody over here would weep and say hallelujah, or somebody over here, thank you, Jesus. Or and he said, folks, I'm not trying to be rude, but stop making noise. And you know, some people are thinking, but I said hallelujah. It's it's not about what you think or want. He said, God said, Be quiet. Be quiet. And I and I think he said in the book it was something like you know how difficult it is to get a Brazilian choir to be quiet, but he, he said it was we we said and finally he said it took about five minutes to actually get everybody to shut up. And he said, and then we sat there and he and he just praying God, what, what in his head praying God what do you what do you want to do what why are you doing this what let us know what, you, and and he just kept feeling the, the Holy Spirit saying just be quiet just be quiet just be quiet in my presence. And he said that they did that for 30 minutes. Think about sitting in a service, nothing, no voices, no music, nothing, 30 minutes. And he said at 30 minutes, he he felt like the Holy Spirit said, now just worship me. And he said as people begin to worship, all through the the Colosseum, people begin to get healed. Nobody's laying hands on them. Nobody's picking them up, standing out, sitting with you. Nobody's swinging a coat, just... Sitting in a seat, people begin to get healed. People begin to stand up out of uh, wheelchairs. I was, he said hundreds and hundreds of people, because those people come to Benny Hinn Crusades. And he said hundreds of people begin to be supernaturally healed all over the place. He said, God showed me. We chase so much after the stuff that he wants. And God, God showed me this. I'm adding to some of what he said, but God showed me this. We, we, we try to have such... A party. We try to have such a stuff and we try to be in so much control. And one of the more difficult things for us as human beings is to just let go and let God have everything and just be in his presence. Just, be in, just worship him. It's not about what you're praying. It's not about what you think you need. It's not about a song. It's, not, it's just let's be in his presence. And we are scared to death to do that. Scared to death. About two years after that, I was a youth pastor in another part of Texas. And very similar thing. We have hundreds of people there that night. People are worshiping, praising. We we were going to be praying for healing, all this kind of stuff later. And uh, and I and I taped. I, I went and got the tape of this later. We everybody's kind of praising whatever. People praying at the altar. I'm on the piano. And um, I'm the only one on the stage. I'm just up there on the piano. And so I got to watch this. And uh, you, you, could, you could sense that the room changed. You know, we sang the song Sunday, um, um, I'm Caught Up in His Presence. And to start, you know, uh, I mean, that's what we sing tonight. No. Um, the atmosphere is changing. Every time I think of that line, the first line of the song we sang Sunday, the atmosphere is changing now. I know what that feels like. I've felt this in different services. I've felt this in different places around the world where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to move into that place differently. Not, Holy Spirit's involved in everything we're doing, but all of a sudden it's different. It's more like, it's more like when Moses is in the tabernacle and the, and the smoke comes in. And I felt that. And I, and I, and I sensed the Holy Spirit, begin, and all of a sudden everybody began to be quiet. Nobody was asking anybody to. Everybody began to be Quiet. Because it starts to seem, when you really start to get into God's presence, your words don't seem as important. They don't have as much impact. And all of a sudden, people begin to be quiet, and you could just hear people softly all through the building, praying in tongues, just softly, quietly, over here, over here, for probably 15, 20 minutes. And I'm just playing the piano. And the reason that I went and got the tape later is because I realized for about 15 minutes, I was watching so intently I didn't know what I was playing. I hadn't thought about what I was playing. I went back and got the tape later. Some of the most beautiful piano I've ever heard it wasn't me. It, it really—I'm not trying to overdo this and make it. Ooh. The Holy Spirit was so powerful. I wouldn't even think about it, but I'm just playing stuff, and the Holy Spirit's leading. I've never had that happen since. But the Holy Spirit's lit, like taking over, and I'm just watching in my hands or whatever. And, and and people just be quiet, just quiet, just worshiping, just worshiping, not praising, not trying to get their words in, just just in the presence of God, just in his presence. Same thing happened that night. All over the place, people began to be healed. I watched this. People, you, people began to get free of all kinds of stuff. You could sense it. And we, we, people, there, was, there was one lady in the back that began to have uh, demons leave her, but nobody was praying for her. And, and, it, and you, it would take too long to explain all that. We knew her. We knew who she was, all this other stuff. And then after about 15, 20 minutes of that, the place just began to erupt. People wailing and crying. And these were people I had known for a while. They, they weren't weeping, crying, praying people. They began just to wail. You know it's You know it's serious. You know it's serious especially down in East Texas. We don't struggle with this as much here in Colorado. In East Texas, South Texas, East Texas, they wear lots of makeup, lots. And when that makeup is just down here and going down in their neck and just, you know, this is not, we the Holy Spirit is now in charge of this thing. But just so profound. Guys, I want to read you some scriptures. And I, and I want you to think about, I want you to think about some things with me here. Because I, I think, I think one of the most important things that we've got to get to, I, I, I've been saying this for the last few, I've been saying it for years, but last few weeks I've been harping on this. For the, for the church, the true church, the body of Christ, not church buildings and not people that go to church, but the true church, the body of Christ. We have got to get back to being a power-filled body. Not a form of church, not a form of godliness, but power, true Power, where you walk up to the church steps and the lame man is sitting there and and you sense the Holy Spirit saying something. The act says that Peter looked at him intently. In other words, he knew the Holy Spirit was doing something. And he said, I don't have money to give you. Man, get up and walk. That's the church. That's the church. Not here's my five-step plan, here's my business card, maybe come to church next week and we'll get you in a small group. Let's just be power. Let's just be gospel-speaking, power-filled people. And um, <clears throat> let me go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four, and um, and I'm going to loop back around. I'm going to do this in the opposite order that I was going to do this. But Luke chap- uh, Hebrews chapter four. Uh, let me start in. Let me start in verse twelve. Let me check my notes to make sure I'm totally off. Yeah, let me start in verse 12. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. Think about what I'm really saying here. Not what I'm saying, what, he, what Hebrews is really saying here. The Word of God is alive and powerful. Now, just use this as a litmus test for yourself. Use it as a, as a, um, as a um, convicting agent right now. Is the Word of God in your life, personally, alive and and powerful. You say, well, how would I judge that? I feel different sometimes when I read the Word of God. But see, God's Word does stuff. God's Word is living. It does stuff. Here's what he says. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit. Have you ever processed that, that phrase, cutting between soul and spirit? I'm going to use a different, little bit different verbiage to help us understand. Your soul, I believe, is, is your personality. It's who you are. Your soul is you. The Spirit is the Spirit of God. But but you, there's a part of you that's called your Spirit. That's the part of you that connects with the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans 6, 7, 5, 6, 7, 8, all of that is, is talking about listening to the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. How does a human being not walk in flesh but walk in the Spirit? So he says the Word of God cuts between soul and spirit. The Word of God cuts between you and... And, and the, the part of you that the Holy Spirit is trying to do things with. You say, well, why would he do that? Why would he separate the soul from the spirit? Because our, our soul, our personality is being fed by something. This is what 6 and 7 of Romans is about. Our, 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 our soul, who we are, our personality, your soul is who is looking at me. Your body is who I look at. When I look at you, I look at your body. Your soul is what looks back at me. Okay? Okay. You, your personality, your mind, that's included in this process. Now, you try to decide through your thoughts. This is going back to thinking Jesus' thoughts. You have to decide. You, you, you your person, has to decide, do I listen? This is what I talked about last week in Second um, um, Corinthians chapter 10. You've got to bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because your mind is where Satan is going to mess with. That's where he's going to throw the thought. He can't get to your soul, and he definitely doesn't even want to get to where your spirit is. That's where God is speaking to us. So he speaks to your mind. He throws thoughts in your mind. He messes with your mind. That's where everything is decided. That's where sin is decided. That's where faith in God is decided. Everything is decided in your mind. Well, where do you get that information from? Your your soul, who you are, is is deciding what you're going to believe, deciding what you're going to do. Well, you either are getting it from your flesh, and and your flesh is not just your physical body. It's the flesh part of your spirit. It's the flesh part. Part of your soul, it's the flesh part of your thinking. It's the human side of who you are. The, this is why fasting is so big because fasting says human side of me, you don't get to be in charge. I'm going to go the next couple of days. I'm not going to eat anything. I'm just going to. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to seek because you're telling your flesh you're not in charge and you're weakening your flesh, not not physically actually hurting yourself. I had somebody tell me one time they were they were talking to me about it. They were a nurse, and they said, "You've been fasting how long?" I said, "Well." I've been fasting about five or six. You stop that right now. That'll block up your bowels. That'll destroy your body. You stop fasting. I'm like, Jesus told us to, so shut it. You know, it doesn't even make sense. I'm not going to listen to you. I don't care. I impacted bowels for Jesus. I, I don't care what you think. Jesus told us to fast. You think he's going to tell us something that's going to hurt us? Doesn't even make sense. In fact, I read this 20 years ago. I read this article that was talking. This was not a Christian article. It have anything to do with it. But it was an article about fasting It says if you will take, if every human will take one week a year, seven days a year, and do nothing but drink water during that one week, all, a lot of your health issues will be cleared up almost instantly. You'll have less cold, you'll have less flu, you'll have less coronavirus, you have a lot of less other stuff because your body regenerates itself, you recharge your immune system, and you're not dealing with fats and, and chemicals and preserves and other stuff. Your body cleans itself, and you will be much, much healthier. And the, the end of the article said... That, that he even believed that, that that's the strongest thing that you can combat cancer with. Now, I've never seen anything else to back that up, so I don't know. But I do know, on a personal level, I fast at least two or three times a year. When you go a whole week without fasting, you are so much healthier for the next few months after that. So much healthier. Plus, you lose tons of weight. The draw just fall off of you. So, so he says, it cuts between your soul and your spirit. It separates you listening to your flesh from the Spirit, and pulls them apart so you feel the difference. You understand the difference. And the fact that it's the Word of God that does it, when it separates your soul from your Spirit, it shows your soul, it shows you, it shows your mind what, what God is trying to say in the, from the Holy Spirit rather than what you've been listening to. So He takes the Word of God and He cuts right through your existence. And it cuts you in half. And it separates, are you going to listen to your flesh? Are you going to listen to the Spirit? And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 6 and 7. Which one are you going to listen to? Word of God. Not your thoughts, not some catchy little phrase, and not some nice little Christian saying, but the Word of God splits right down through you, through your spirit, and separates. And now you have to decide what you're going to listen to. He says, between soul and spirit, between joint and morrow. I love that little phrase. He says, the Word of God will actually cut down through you physically, too. Joint and morrow. Your morrow is inside your bones. Right? The very core of who you are. The Word of God will cut to the very inner core of who you are. Because it's active, it's powerful, it's living. This is the problem. is If the way we approach the Word of God is my little daily bread, and my little scripture for the day, and um, that little three-minute devotional on the radio, or somebody's little devotional online. If that's the way you look at the Word of God, it's never going to cut between your soul and spirit. Because it's, we, we keep it at arm's distance. Well, that's my verse for the day. We keep it at an arm's distance. The verse for the day, what does that mean? Where did it come from? What's the context? Why did Jesus say it? Why did he say it then? Who did he say it to? Why is he saying it to us? You don't know any of that stuff when it's just the verse of the day. But you begin to open God's word and get in God's word. And, And for the purpose of that is your doorway, that is your portal to the spirit of God, the presence of God. You're going after God's word to be in His presence, not learn a quippy thing or a nice little three-point, um, uh, fifteen-second devotional. But you're opening the Word of God because you're going to spend some time there because you're chasing after God. Um, I have this file in my office, <clears throat> and uh, Linda didn't know this for we had been married probably twenty years. I think it's I think it's right before we moved here that she she figured this out. But I have this file and it's pretty thick. I mean it's. It's like six or eight inches thick. And I keep it, always kept it in the back of my filing cabinet. And it was everything that Linda ever wrote to me, Valentine's, anything. I just put it in the file. Stuff from college, little pictures. we we went on a uh we went on a date one time for a birthday. <clears throat> and I dressed up as a as a cowboy. Not like Woody on Toy Story, but I, I mean I, I didn't have anything. So my roommate, he had boots and a big black hat and uh, so I I dressed up I did all this stuff and I, and we were in college and I told her I said meet me in front of the dorm and take you out for your birthday and I come around the corner and Linda's a cowgirl she was always a cowgirl she thought she was going to marry a cowboy with a pickup lifted pickup truck and big old smokes that's what she thought she was going to marry and uh, I'm much cooler I drive a jeep and so she she wanted a cowboy and I came around the corner I'm dressed as a cowboy and she's or western I don't know how to say it because I don't care but. Um, I came around the corner She she was like, woo, woo, and I realized this is going to be a good evening. <clears throat> so, so we went to uh, Trail Dust Steakhouse in Dallas. And, uh, and we, we kind of country danced, but I don't really know how. I can dance with the best of them, but not the two steps. So, so we tried to do that and all this. And I kept a little um, menu for the night, little paper menu thing. And I took a picture and I, I've got all that stuff in the file. Big balloon thing. I popped it and floated, folded it all up and put it in there. And and and, I, and different times over the years, I've gone back and just looked at that. You know, I'm feeling a romantic or nostalgic. And I've gone back and looked at all those. I don't take a sentence out of one of those cards, and that's my Linda sentence for the day. That doesn't even make sense. That literally makes no sense. When I opened a letter and she wrote me letters, this is before cell phones, okay? I tell my kids that all the time. You know, we would talk for two or three hours a night and it would cost like $30 a night. $30 a night? Yeah, you used to pay for long distance. My kids had no clue. They've never, we've never paid for long distance since they've been alive. And, and things like that. So she would write letters and we'd write letters back and forth because I was a youth pastor on the other side of Texas. Uh, we were engaged. She was on, on East Texas, I was West Texas. And she'd write me letters. I don't, I don't pull those letters out and read a sentence. I don't pull the letter out and, and read the, the first two lines as, as my Linda sentence for the day. When she would write me those letters, I, I would pour over. I would read them over and over and over. And, and then I would practice kissing. So I'd be ready when I saw her in a few months. I, I didn't pull one of these. This is so weird how we do this to Jesus. We take one sentence that he said and we say, I'm going to hold on to that sentence today. Why don't you hold on to Jesus and read all the stuff that he said? Hold on to Jesus, not his sentence for the day. Hold on to Jesus, get into his presence and and then pour through what He said because we are so close to Him. We have relationship with Him. We want deep, close relationship with Him. And so we want to read everything that He said. We want to, we want to imagine ourselves sitting around that campfire and, and Him making the fish and the bread for us and because, because we are jealous. We wanted to be there, but, but the disciples got to be there. And, and, we, and it's weird how we do this. This is my word for the day. Ah, Let's get in His presence Let's get into the Word because we know that will lead us into knowledge and understanding of Him, not things about Him, not the rules, not the the, the structure and all that. We, we need to get into, into the Word because it's Him. He is the Word. He was before anything, and He's the Word. He's the Word made flesh so we could see God. He's the Word. And so we need to get into His presence, get into His Word, and then we've got to get into the to to allowing the Holy Spirit to be charge a charge of us, it is sharper than the sharpest two edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And here's the thing, and this is why we are scared to death to truly get in his to truly get in his presence, in his word, in his presence. We don't want to combine the two. We'll read some scriptures and we may praise a little bit. but We're scared to death to just abandon ourselves and worship in his word and with his word because. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And guys, that is convicting, no matter how good a Christian you are. That is convicting. But here's the next step. Once you get through the convicting, how do you get through the convicting? You repent. That's how. You repent. You turn your life back over. You you process, Lord, cover me with the blood. You repent. Once you, once you get through that, Him exposing our innermost thoughts and desires are not bad. They're not bad. I love this statement, even though it does have a negative context, and we understand that there's conviction involved. There's way more grace. When Jesus is sitting on the shore and, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Yes. You know, I do. Okay, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? The third time he asked him, he says, Peter was, was um, uh, it, it hurt him in his heart. He was sorrowful because Jesus had asked him the third time. Why? Because he, he had, he had, um, he had um, <clears throat> denied him. Three times. So, but here's the thing. After Peter worked through the sorrow and the understanding that, yes, he had failed Jesus, we see that Peter, I believe, that Peter spent the rest of his life remembering that moment because after he got through the third time, he realized Jesus is saying this. See, Peter's third statement was, Jesus, you know my heart. You know I love you. And Jesus said then, he didn't say, I don't think you do, Peter. You deny me three times. He said, okay, then, Peter, feed my sheep. In other words, I do know your heart, Peter. I do know your heart. You are my guy. Yes, you've made mistakes, but I do know your heart. And this is the key for me. This is why I hang on to that. My, my favorite um, New Testament guy is Paul. I so much would love to say, you know, I'm so much like Paul. I'm not anything like Paul. I am Peter all over. I wish I wasn't because he's a dork most of the time. He's, he runs his mouth. He, he says dumb things. He jumps right in the middle of everything. And I know when I look in the mirror, I'm way more like Peter than I am like Paul. I think I'm gaining a little on Paul, but, but I know from my own heart, I've said this to Jesus so many times, Jesus, you know my heart. You know me. You know that I love you. And, and, I, and I always include with that, and Jesus, if I'm not loving you with, with some aspect of who I am, show me. I want to I love you with everything about me, with my heart, my soul, my mind, body, strength. Every, I want to love you with everything about me. So when Peter says the third time, you know my heart, Jesus says, yeah. I, then do what I've asked you to do. I don't think he was, I don't think at that point, I think when it started out, he was trying to get into Peter's skin. I do. I, I know that, because he had to make Peter address it. Peter, Peter avoided that. He had to make Peter address it. By the time he gets the third time he says it, Peter's gone there. And Jesus said, "Okay, now, buddy, let's do this. We can do this together." It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That starts with conviction, should carry us to repentance, but then it should take us into His presence. And that's where Psalms ninety-one it says he just, he just gathers us up under His wings. That should be the mentality. The the uh, the, the moment where we're, they're at the Last Supper, and it says that John was just you know kind of laying back on Jesus. Man, that's a great that's a great moment. That's, a, that's just a great moment. Wouldn't you like to be all just sitting around you know in the living room, hanging out, and Jesus sitting on the couch, and you're sitting beside him. You're just like me and Jesus. You know, that's that's what it is. Why? Because Jesus knew John's innermost thoughts too. They're not bad. Let's go there. Let's go into his presence. Because when we do the word of God, when we're really in his presence, really there worshiping, surrendering. Romans 12, putting ourselves on his altar and letting him, we are sacrificing ourselves to him and he's cutting all of the junk out. When we get to that and we've moved through the repentance, then enjoy his presence. Let those innermost thoughts and desires be Jesus, I love you. I enjoy just being with you today. God, I just want to spend some time. And, and, and I, for me, I don't know how it works for everybody else, but for me, I kind of go back and forth between just worshiping God and, and repenting. Because I'll be worshiping God, and then I'll remember, oh, yeah, I was kind of a jerk to that person. God, help me with that, you know. Then um, I begin to worship again. God, thank you for your grace. And then, and then God says, hey, you, you you saw something on TV you should, not you didn't turn it off. You, you watched it. God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. You know, I kind of go back and forth. Um, That's how it works for me. I don't know how it works for you. But but I believe as he's exposing your thoughts and desires, some are good, some are bad, and you need to deal with both. He says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He is the one to whom we are accountable. Now, I want to say this, and I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I'm not trying to be funny. Not trying to be some, this isn't, this isn't sexual, it's none of that kind of stuff, okay? I've often wondered, <clears throat> God made us, he made us perfect, he made us amazing. Um, he, he made us in his image, all this stuff. I don't know, I don't, I don't want people to think I'm a weirdo if I say this. You realize that when God made us, he didn't make us to wear clothes, okay? I'm a huge fan of everybody wearing clothes. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But think about this. I'm saying from God's point of view, He creates the perfect outer covering of an amazingly intricate design, intricately designed body. And because of our sin, all of a sudden we became ashamed of what God had created. We became ashamed of this body. Why? Because sin takes us into evil it takes us into lust it takes us into perversion it takes us all God designed us to just interact with each other now again because of sin let's stay with clothes until we get to heaven okay but that's not how God designed us I wonder if God sometimes just gets irritated and and especially during the 80's some of the clothes we came up with you think God just gets irritated and said what I made was so much better you guys are goovers you know I mean, really, parachute pants? Either way, so everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He's the one to whom we are accountable. And Look at this. Since So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us for, hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, and he didn't sin. He faced all the exact same temptations and testings that we will. He just chose not to let them tear him down. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. The fact that he was tempted like us gives us the understanding that his grace is sufficient to allow us access into the presence of God. His grace gives me the opportunity To go into the presence of God, through the blood of Jesus, I can go into the presence of God. And this is what's tragic about this, is most Christians never go there. They never go into his presence. I ask this every now and then. I haven't asked it in probably nine months, maybe longer. This is one of the ways that I always just kind of gauge this for myself. And so I always ask the question to you. When is the last time that you were so moved by God's presence That all you could do is cry. Nothing else. So overwhelmed with his presence that all you could do is just weep. I've talked to many, many, many Christians over the years that have never gone there. Not when's the last time, but never. Never. Just get into his presence and let him just kind of break down all this stuff. Break down all the crust that builds up on our heart. Soul, and spirit, the crust that builds up on our mind—just let the 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 regenerative, warm oil of the Holy Spirit just flow through us and soften everything up. Why are we so scared to just be in His presence? When's the last time that you that you were in His presence and you know you had a something you had to do, but you just didn't want to leave? You just didn't want to leave. You just had to stay there. Lord, I just want a few more minutes. Yes, I know the kids are hanging off the roof of the house, but Lord, if I can just spend a few more minutes with you. It's amazing that we're scared of that, that we don't go there. Now, I think part of the reason is because we get so much other input constantly. That's why it's important to fast. Sometimes fasting means turn off all stuff. TVs, phones, Facebook? Have you ever thought about going an entire week without looking at Facebook, I do it all the time. I don't like Facebook. I never have liked Facebook. But, I, but as a diligent pastor, I want to know what you ate for breakfast this morning. So I go on Facebook. Um, I want to know the top ten songs that came out your senior year in high school. I need, I need to know that. So turn off Facebook. Turn off the TV. Turn off your computer. Turn off the music. But it's worship music. Turn it off. Turn off everything. Just get into the presence of God. And stay there until you know He he has broken up all of the stuff, broken up your spirit, and now His Holy Spirit is flowing through you and moving through you. Stay there until then. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy. See, this is, this is why I get asked this all the time. Why doesn't this happen? Why don't we have more miracles? Why, why does it seem like the Holy Spirit is not happening in our lives? All these other things. Guys, it, it's, at, it's, it's not at the foot of the church. It's, not the foot, it's, it's, it's you. You're the one responsible for getting in God's presence. You are the only one that can take you into the throne room of God. You are the only one. Go there. Then you'll receive mercy. Then you'll have understanding. Holy Spirit will give you discernment, all these other things. And I believe you also begin to walk in more supernatural power. Go into the throne room of God. Now, the Holy of Holies, I'm going to use kind of the description. This was a very important song for me um, back in the day. And I liked it best when Petra sang it. I had this question the other day. We were sitting in our staff meeting, I said something about Petra. And Krista, our children's pastor, said, what's Petra? Where have we come to as a church, people? Where have we come to when we don't know who Petra is? So, and I asked her I said, you know, like uh, the Imperials, right? I've never heard of that. Gaither Vocal Band? Well, I don't even like them, but Gaither Vocal Band? I think I might have heard of that. Okay, stop talking. So, there, in the throne of our gracious God, there will we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Guys, let's go there. It's because of the blood of Jesus that we have the access. Don't don't push it off to the side. The blood of Jesus gives us access to the most important thing. Don't take it casually. Go into the throne room of God. And then then what do we do? Going back to 1 Corinthians 14. We pray in tongues. We pray with our own understanding. We worship in tongues. We worship in our own understanding. I, I think that's the key. The power of the Holy Spirit, as I believe this 100%, with the Assemblies of God, we have a doctrinal statement that says that speaking in tongues is the sign and the initial evidence, physical evidence, the sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's true. Now, before you call the district office, my criteria is actually a little more into it. It includes that criteria. I believe that speaking in tongues is how you're empowered. It's not a sign of empowerment. It's how you're empowered. Scripture tells us that over and over and over. It strengthens you. So, so here's the thing. Pro- prove it to yourself. Begin to pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, and just spend some time doing that. And you will physically feel your spirit strengthening. You will physically feel the power moving into your spirit. You will. You don't, you don't, you don't need more evidence than that. You are, it is, you are being empowered. It's not a sign of it. So... So what should we be doing? What, how, where do we take this? What do we do? I think, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pushing this a lot in the near future. We're going we're to start having some times on um, Sunday mornings where we're praying about this in service, uh, laying hands on people and praying about this, because I think, I know I've been negligent in that. We do that every now and then, but I've been negligent in that. If, if, if I really, Somebody said this to me a few weeks ago. If you really believe this, why don't we just spend some time on Sundays praying? Well, here's one of the reasons. We got another service after that. Uh, people are ready to go home. I'm giving in to the same thing I preach against all the time. So in the next few weeks, we're going to have some times where we go to this. I've got some things on the the dock. I feel like the Lord's told me, and then I'm adding these on afterwards. We're just going to. I'm going to preach much, much shorter. Some, I think I can do it. And uh, and then we're just going to spend some time praying and saying, Holy Spirit, please do what you want. Do what you want. So that's what I want to pray for you, and I want to pray. That um, when you lay your head on your pillow tonight, when you feel your head sink into your pillow, the Holy Spirit will say, hey, let's spend a little time together. As you're drifting off to sleep, I've had people say before, you shouldn't fall asleep when you're praying. Should I fall asleep when I'm cussing? Or should I fall asleep when you're praying? That's a great thing. Wouldn't you like to do that? I said this before, people make fun of me, but Lynn and I actually talked about this. When we were engaged before we got married, we were on one of our long phone calls across Texas. And we made an agreement that when we get married, that every night we're going to go to sleep with our lips touching. And then you realize you really can't do that. It's not, it's not possible. You, you suffocate. Um, <laughs> but we were so spiritually, emotionally, romantically alive. And so, <clears throat> um, <laughs> but, but what you can do is you can fall asleep holding the hand of the Holy Spirit, you can. You can fall asleep, and the the last words you remember are just praying in tongues, praying, and and you don't remember after that. You just fall asleep. What better thing? Talk about changing your dreams. Just before you go to sleep tonight, just pray in the Spirit. Just just at least a little while, just pray in the Spirit. Just let the Holy Spirit just take you um, whatever road He wants to take. So I'm praying that for you, I'm praying that for me. Um, so let's pray. God, we, we, just, uh, we just surrender ourselves to you. God, you're so amazing. Your mercies are new every day. Lord, as I was talking to you today about this, every, every time I look at the mountains, I, I'm overwhelmed by you, God. Not the mountains, I'm overwhelmed by you, your creativeness. Just the amazingness of who you are. Lord, you're so big. You're so majestic. Lord, we want to go into your presence. I don't want to talk about you. I want to go into your presence. I don't want to just sing songs about you. Sometimes I do, but God, mostly I just want to be in your presence. Lord, I pray that for me. I pray it for every one of us. I pray it for everyone sitting at home. Lord, I just want to be in your presence. Fill me with your spirit, with knowledge, with truth. Fill me with, with power. Lord, I just want to be in your presence. And I pray all across our church, all across our city, that people will hunger for you, lose their religion and hunger for you. We thank you for this. We thank you for just the opportunity to come into your throne. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to let you in on a little bit of uh, important information. This is very important. Um, our children's pastor, Krista, is getting on a plane right now to go to Wisconsin to help Josh's brother Move here. She's a caring individual. Josh is not even going to help his brother. But Krista, our children's pastor, is going to help Aaron Jans move to our city. In case you hadn't figured this out, it's because they are dating. I thought everybody should know that (laughs) because I'm a caring pastor. Um, it is on Facebook? That's right. I do care who's on Facebook. And I care that I'm on Facebook. And I care that Krista's on... No, I... Yeah. So, yeah, Peter Pan and Robin Hood are the same guy. So, here's the thing. So, just pray for Krista. I don't know if you ever want to say anything. It may not be something you want to talk about to her. But just pray for her and her and Aaron as Aaron is moving here. And, um... I don't know. I just love is in the air. So you guys have a good rest of your evening. I think everybody should uh, lay down a little bit before breakfast. And uh, we will see you uh, Friday night for Dave Reaver Men's Rally. um, And then Sunday morning, Dave Reaver Mother's Day. Have a great rest of your evening.